This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Continue our sermon series this week on our passage in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and following. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This week we begin with the fourth abomination, a heart that devises wicked plans that we read in Proverbs 6 verse 18. As Christians, we are called throughout the word of God to hate evil, to hate and to abhor sin. This hatred of sin must begin with self-examination. To hate the sin we discern through the conviction of the Holy Spirit within our own hearts. This is the purpose of the long exhortation that we recite in the communion service on occasion. It's appropriate that we say this exhortation at the beginning of each penitential season, whether it's Advent and Lent. If you think about it, self-examination is not what we often think it is in in terms of the church. We often think of self-examination in the church as, I need to look within my own heart to find everything that I'm good at, all the things I'm doing well. But rather, self-examination in Scripture is to earnestly seek God's help for the hidden faults of sin that we are still clinging to, which we need to repent of towards, to God and to those that we are hurting in our own lives. This morning, let us soberly meditate upon this abomination from Proverbs 6, which is really the root issue of all sin, culminating in how God is the only way to soften the human heart in His grace. First, we need to outline how the Bible describes the heart of humanity. It is important to diagnose our condition, to see that we have a need for help. Our lesson in Genesis 6 gives us the first place that we find in Holy Scripture of the problem of the human heart regarding our sinful lifestyles, our sinful actions. As verse 5 states of Genesis chapter 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. A steady line to be drawn from Genesis through Revelation, where we see the wicked heart of humanity at work. Further along in our passage, we read the following in verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all the flesh, had corrupted their way on the earth. We pine over the same tendencies in our own day, just as our ancestors did in the times they lived. We see the tangible expression of 
the wicked or the evil heart all around us. Two key passages, I believe, that provide another example of this in the New Testament are the wicked's response to the gospel, especially those that are unrepentant, heart of heart. First in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. The sinful heart, when confronted with sin, reacts often with rage and sometimes with a desire towards violence to silence the gospel through killing the messenger. Second in Acts chapter 7 verse 54 provides the reaction of the Pharisees of the crowd to the presentation of the gospel or the preaching of the gospel by the deacon Stephen. Now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. When the hearts of humanity are sold to sin and to death they will react with sin and death to those that challenge their sin. Such responses end in the same result. As we read today in Genesis chapter 6, corruption, violence towards others. We even justify the evil of our collective hearts with the stamp of elected approval to perpetuate violence. Whether it is to perpetuate violence to those in the womb or to any other people to all spans of life. The answer to such evil is not to elect the right people to enact new laws that hopefully will get it right this time. The hardened heart, the sinful heart, the wicked heart merely finds ways to break righteous laws. The only way of redemption from corruption and violence comes from outside of humanity. The answer is found in the last part of verse 6 of Genesis 6 this morning after God regretted that he had created the earth, had made humanity. We read that it grieved him in his heart. God, even in the midst of this righteous judgment that we read about in Genesis 6 and discipline, operates through love, through preservation of his people. With the ark in Genesis 6, this is seen in preserving the godly remnant to survive, to rebuild the earth after it was cleansed from wickedness in the flood. In the Gospels, we see the culmination of God's slow, deliberate, patient work in our history to deal with our wicked hearts Through Jesus Christ. He redeems humanity first from the penalty we all deserve due to our sinful and hardened hearts. We call this being justified. From this salvation, this justification, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of believers the rest of our lives through what we call sanctification, cleansing our hearts, softening our hearts towards God and towards love of each other. This action of the Spirit is described by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This bears fruit as we see in the first major sermon of the apostles after the coming down of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, the gospel, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter directed them to repent, to be baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ. The answer is the death of Christ for our sinful hearts. To then bring us to faith, to identify with his death. 
through baptism, submitted no longer to our sinful ways, to our prideful ways, but to God alone. And we see this connection in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the connection between God saving Noah and his family in the ark to now our baptism being saved in Christ in the ark of his church. God's work within us is seen further in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is what is meant in the beautiful colic prayer for this Sunday, that God stirs up the wills of the hearts of his faithful people to bring forth his good works. When we know that we are loved, it frees us to love freely. This work of God, the Holy Spirit, reminding us of Christ's love to die in our place, acts to help us discern good from evil. The Holy Spirit serves to convict us when we're in sin, to repent, to turn back to the Lord, seeking his grace and love. This work takes our lifetimes and is manifested through the body of Christ, the church, that teaches us through our worship, through our fellowship, through our lives together in the church of God's word, God's love, grace, and mercy. This life in Christ fosters a childlike dependence An important quote about this work of change in us throughout our lives, to inform our lives, to live faithfully in Jesus Christ, comes from the early 20th century Anglican educational reformer Charlotte Mason. She wrote, We do not merely give a religious education because that would seem to imply the possibility of some other education, a secular education, for example. But we hold that all education is divine, that every good gift of knowledge and insight comes from above, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the supreme educator of mankind, and that the culmination of all education, which may at the same time be reached by a little child, is that personal knowledge of and intimacy with God in which our being finds its fullest perfection. The steady work of the Holy Spirit within us brings us closer and closer to God, and closer and closer to each other. God first loved us. Knowledge of God devoid of his love is worthless. This constant is dependent upon God's love through a lifetime devoted to being educated through the Holy Spirit to know this love. Our psalm this morning provides a most wonderful description of the work of the Spirit upon the heart of humanity. In Psalm 39 verses 1 and 2 it speaks that we guard our lives and our hearts according to the Lord. As we read in verse 1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. This guarding even applies to times when wicked people try to sway us, try to sway us away from God to act like them. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. The pathway towards sinning begins with the heart and then manifests itself 
in our words. A great work of the Spirit is the discipline of guarding our mouths from reacting to sin with sinful words and actions. Verse 3 speaks of the times we are to come to, that we all come to on this side of eternity when we've had it, if you will, when it's time to speak. As we read in the psalm, my heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. The remaining verses of this psalm speak to the guarded way in which we, as God's people, are to speak by directing our speech, whether we're going through good times or through trying times, to God in prayer. Verses 4 through 6 speak of where our prayers must begin, especially in grappling with the point that our hearts have become hot within. We need to begin with humility, reflecting on the shortness of life, Our lives are too short to be consumed with sinful rage, seeking sinful human solutions to the problem of evil. Verse 4 reads, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. This puts things into the proper perspective. It directs us towards God and his love, a love that extends into eternity for those that have been saved. This leads to the next part of properly dealing with our anger towards the wicked in verses 7 and 8. Hope in God through repentance. My hope is in you, as we read in verse 7. Connecting this to what we read earlier in Romans chapter 5 is key. The Spirit enables us to endure in Jesus Christ, leading to this abounding hope. In this hope, we can then turn to God in prayer, as we read in verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. When we shun the spirit to fly off the handle, if you will, with sinful words in response to sinful fools, we will become their scorn. Rather, the way of Christ, the way of the cross in such circumstances is hope in Christ through seeking the help of the Lord, through seeking forgiveness for our own faults, our own transgressions. This puts everything into the proper light that we need the forgiveness of Almighty God. And such we turn to to Jesus Christ rather than towards sinful vengeance. In verses 9 through 11 of this psalm, the next step after repentance is to reflect on the discipline of the Lord, the sanctifying work of the Lord in our lives. As we read in verse 11, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Within all of this is the intimacy that comes with knowing God, knowing that he loves us, that he sustains us, that yes, he even disciplines us and preserves us for all eternity through his son. Verses 12 through 13 end these prayers where we should end our prayers. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. We cry to God to hear us out of his love. Prayers in reply to the wicked are the way we hone our dependence upon God and his love. When we neglect prayer, when we neglect meditation, when we neglect his word, we drift towards human sinful solutions to our cries and need for relief and justice. No matter how much we deal with sin through our own solutions in this life, It always lacks. It will never satisfy the way God 
satisfies us through Jesus Christ. Our foundational issue of a heart hardened in sin cannot be solved through our endeavors, through our efforts. God's work of grace in His church slowly peels away the layers of our hard hearts toward His love. It's akin to the sequence of events in C.S. Lewis's novel Voyage of the Dawn Trider, where the cousin of Edmund and Lucy, Eustace Scrub, became a dragon through his own greed and pride and so forth. After quite a bit of a time as a dragon, we read that Aslan the Lion, a picture of Christ in the Chronicles of Narnia, took Eustace the dragon from the camp to a well. Aslan then told him to undress, meaning that he was to tear off his dragon skin. After tearing away his own skin, he then went to bathe in the water, only to find that the new skin was just as hard, rough, wrinkled, and scaly as it was before. Even after doing this three separate times of tearing off his own skin, going into the pool again, he found he was just as hard of heart, if you will, as before. As we read in the novel, then Aslan said, you will have to let me undress you. Eustace then said, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me be able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself three separate times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker or more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything but for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Then, as we read in the story, Eustace apologizes to his cousin, Edmund, for being so beastly during their trip to Narnia. If you really think about it, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, peels away the layers of our hardened hearts, Yes, it's often painful. Giving up sin and repentance to a renewed life in Christ is painful at first. Then in the renewal of our baptisms, we're dressed anew by the righteousness of Christ, clothed in him to live as called, loving God, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus does this with all of us as his people, even with the most hardened of cases such as Paul bent on violence to the church before his conversion. He does this with all of us, cutting right to the depths of our hearts. As we prepare for Advent next week, let us look to this penitential season to reflect anew on how we cannot, no matter how hard we try, to soften our own scaly, hard hearts. 
It is Christ alone through his work that does this, making us new and able to have hearts that love and serve out of gratitude and his love. Let us close with these words from Ephesians chapter 1. That the God of our our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that are what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Amen.